Praise God. Are my slides up? It's not here. Um, let me see. Okay, here it is. So we are on Missions Month. And my theme uh, for my message for missions, I've been speaking on missions for many, many years. But uh, this year, I, I felt that God wants us to have a new angle, a new perspective on missions. And the title is Blessing to the Families of the Earth. Now, that all of you or most of you would have heard of the Great Commission, all right? And it's taken, there are two passages in the Bible that, uh, uh, that emphasize or exemplify the Great Com Commission. And the first verse is taken from Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. I'll read this, and then I have a video uh, to show you of what God is doing in, in North um, Africa, which is predominantly Muslim. All right? And if you think it's so hard to penetrate the Muslim countries, let's see what God can do. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Not to the devil, but to Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all the different peoples of the earth baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, uh, conversion is accompanied by baptism. So it's very important that those who recently came to the Lord accepted Jesus. You need to be water baptized. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, every corner of the world, to every people group, as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Jesus will come when the gospel reaches all the peoples of the earth. That's the clearest sign of when Jesus will actually come. So it's no point uh, speculating, oh, this sign, you know, Jesus is coming tomorrow, it's coming in the year 2030. Forget about that. The best sign is that when the gospel is taken, taken to all peoples of the earth. Let's watch this video. These images of North Africans worshipping have never been seen before on television. As the sun sets over the Mediterranean Sea, Muslims across this part of Africa are converting to faith in Jesus Christ in record numbers. What God is doing in North Africa, all the way from actually Mauritania to Libya, is unprecedented in history of missions. Tino Kahush, a graduate of Regent University, has spent years traveling the region to document the transformation. I have the privilege of recording testimonies and listening to first-hand stories of men and women all ages where they can be sitting in a room and see the appearance, the presence of God appear to them in reality. It's like a vision. They can, some of them gave me stories of they carry a conversation. It's not just a, a light that appears. 
His interviews confirm what experts say is a profound move of God in the predominantly Muslim nations of Mauritania, Western Sahara, Morocco, Algeria, Libya, and Tunisia. Sometimes I feel jealous. How come is visiting the Muslim world at this time and age where we don't hear that happening in the traditional Christian community? From the shores of Casablanca in Morocco to Tripoli, Libya, experts say the growth of Christianity, especially in the last 20 years, has been unprecedented. And nowhere is that growth more evident than in the North African nation of Algeria. Pastor Salah leads one of the largest churches in Algeria, where 99% of the population is Muslim. He says every new Christian in his church came from a Muslim background. Some 1,200 believers attend the church. Men like Zino, who was invited to attend Pastor Salah's church by a friend. Others like Farhat speak of miraculous encounters. He says he was illiterate and couldn't read the Bible when he accepted the Lord. Then God made a change. Even though Algeria is overwhelmingly Muslim, the government has given Protestant churches the freedom to register their congregations. It is the first Muslim Arab government who recognized officially churches from Islam. Yusuf Kurahmani is a leading Algerian pastor. He says the government will harass and intimidate Christians from time to time, but the level of persecution is nothing like it was 20 years ago. God has given us many opportunities to witness at the police stations, at the courts. And actually, once I, I, I went to the police station and they gave me 45 minutes to speak about Jesus. Just imagine yourself, there are all Muslims. Titi, well, tell us about Jesus, please. But Algeria and the countries of North Africa weren't always open to the gospel. Peter is a veteran missionary in these parts. You know, there's that parable, the sower went out to sow and his, the seed fell on uh, stony ground. This is North Africa. Uh, in those days was quite uh, resistant and stony. For security reasons, we've altered his voice and concealed his identity. The religion and the culture were unsympathetic to anything that was foreign and uh, Christianity was considered to be a the religion of the Europeans. Peter believes the arrival of satellite TV and the internet have dramatically changed people's perception of Christianity. Today in North Africa on, on TV you can hear uh, native Arab Christians talking about their faith who are mature Christians, answering questions, involved in debates. Emboldened by God's power, Algerian Christians are now on a mission to take the gospel to the four corners of the globe. God has put, put in our heart to be able to send 1,000 missionaries by the year 2025. And I really believe maybe one day America will end up with some Muslim converse missionaries coming to reach out to the Muslims there and other parts as well. George Thomas, CBN News, along the shores of the Mediterranean.
Isn't that fantastic? God is sovereignly reaching the unreached peoples, the Muslim people who are so resistant. And we from Malaysia, we understand how tough it is to reach out to Muslims. But, you know, nothing is impossible with God. And uh, He's reaching Buddhists, He's reaching Hindus, and um, many peoples of the earth are now coming to the Lord in big numbers. I, I was just talking to an Egyptian pastor just a few months ago before he left for Egypt. He's brought his whole family here because uh, his family is under threat. He's from Egypt and he's a pastor there. And he tells me the story of one very high-level imam, who, uh, a Muslim cleric, who, uh, whom Jesus appeared to him for seven days. And he was, his heart was so hard that Jesus had to come to him seven, for seven days before he was finally converted. That's how hard he was. But finally, on the seventh day of Jesus coming to him and talking to him, he finally bowed down and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And when he was found out, uh, the family members, his family members all wanted to kill him. <clears throat> so they captured him and the uncles and aunties, they, they have the right to, to kill him. And so before you kill me, he said, I just want one request because there's one cousin of his who is dying of cancer or some incurable disease. And he says, I just want you, before you kill me, just pray for my cousin in Jesus' name. Not me pray, but you pray for him, but use Jesus' name to pray for that cousin of mine who is Muslim. And so they said, okay, no, no harm done. This, we are going to kill you anyway and it's, we're going to prove that it doesn't work. So they prayed for that sick cousin in Jesus' name and he raised up and, and was totally healed of that cancer. And as a result, the whole family, all his Muslim family all came to the Lord and through him, tens of thousands of Muslims in Egypt have come to the Lord. And, and that's, not that's not just one isolated incident. Many, many Muslims in Egypt, and they are saying that millions of Muslims have been converted in Egypt now to the Lord. And, and Egypt, they believe, is going to become a Christian nation in, in years to come. It's an, a phenomenal move of God. And I tell you, God is doing a, an incredible thing all over the world. We in Australia, we live here in a comfortable setting <laughs> and we think nothing is happening. We think God is not alive or not working very much. But wait till you get involved in missions and you hear what God is doing in different parts of the world. You, you, will, be, uh, you, you will get out of your complacency. And that's why I've been so excited about missions. The reason why I planted this church is not because I'm a pastor at heart. I'm a missionary at heart. And I came to plant this missions church. This is a missionary church to be. But my vision was to come and reach different people groups here in Australia because I found that God had sent different people groups here. And if I could reach them, I could send some of them 
back to their countries to be missionary to their own uh, homeland. And, and we've had Sunni reaching, uh, she was my neighbor, came to the Lord. She's now missionary in, in China. And then we have Nelson and Marianne who are here in our midst. They are missionaries. Stand up, Nelson and Marianne. We, we recognize you and applaud you for... They've been in Thailand now for how many years? 22 years. And they speak Thai fluently, just like a local Thai, you know. And uh, so it's, it's incredible. They join us right at the beginning of the start of, of the church. And so continue to pray for them. And, you know, when I first came to Australia, I met with a big-time pastor. And, and he knew me because he used to come to FGA Kuala Lumpur to preach. And, and he says, Roland, what are you doing here in Australia? You were in Malaysia. I said, I've come as a missionary. He says, what? You've come to Australia as a missionary? Australia doesn't need missionaries. He didn't say that, but in his mind, he says, go home, you know. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I've come as a missionary to Australia. He says, okay, all right, you, maybe one missionary, you know. That's all we need. <clears throat> he was being sarcastic. <clears throat> and then he says, when you plant the church, make sure it's not near my church, all right. <laughs> but that's the mentality of some pastors and, and some churches that's wrong mentality. And he's a big time pastor even, you know. And so we must be magnanimous. We, we can't do this task alone. We've got to combine forces. And uh, I, I'm so glad that Patrick and uh, Chris, is it? And are here from uh, Stitches who reach out to children and families uh, you know, they use their own funds to do that, you know. And we, we, we just want to support what you are doing. And, and they have been so faithful, so faithful in, in doing that. And so I'm so excited about missions. And um, so today, sorry, we are going to um, see the Great Commission from a different perspective and different people look at things differently. If you look at the picture over there, what can you see? Red Indian? Huh? Eskimo. So who sees Eskimo? Who sees Red Indian? See? It, we all look at things <laughs> differently, all right? But, you know, God sees the Great Commission from what I call a family perspective. Very often, when we look at the Great Commission, go into all the world and, and you know, preach the gospel and so on, we see as a command, as a task that needs to be fulfilled. And so we go on missions because we feel obligated. Oh, Pastor Roland, Pastor Chris says, I must go on missions and, and all of We see that as a task. But we've got to begin to look at the Great Commission from the Father's perspective, from Father God who looks at the world and why did He give that commandment? He sees it from a family perspective. And you know, our church is all about family. We are called the Household of Faith Church, so to speak, although we are FGA, you know. FGA, uh, fear God always. All right? 
But uh, we, we, our motto is, uh, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So we are family-oriented. Uh, uh, and I'm so glad that we are, that, that Chris, you know, has seen from, uh, seen ministry from the Father's eyes. And God sees the Great Commission from a family perspective, which I want to explain here. Because, first of all, he chose a man called Abram, which means, Abram means, the, uh, the name A-B-R-A-M means exalted father, a good father. And he transformed him from being a good father to be a father of many nations. He gave him the name Abraham. And, and so God is looking for fathers, people with a father's heart, people who would see the world with the heart of the father from God's perspective. And in Genesis 12, 2 to 4, it says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. So we've got to be very careful not to curse the Jews <laughs> because the Jews have come from Abraham and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I just recently read a report that in March, was it? In March, uh, Iran, the, the Ayatollah, the head of the uh, country in, of Iran, he asked the whole nation uh, that tomorrow we will all curse Israel. He made a declaration that he will lead the cursing of Israel from tomorrow onwards. And so when they, he made that declaration, suddenly, unprecedented, the nation of Israel, Iran, and it's not in the news, you probably, you Google it, you will find, find it there. The country had flash floods. It rained for two to three weeks, non-stop. And cars were carried out in the streets by the water, and there was devastation like nothing seen before in Iran, and they were plummeted with huge hailstones. And, and very few people died because God didn't want to kill people, but their damage cost something like a few billion dollars as a result of that. So you never make a declaration to curse Israel. You'll be in trouble. It says if you bless Israel, if you bless Abraham and his children, you will be blessed. You curse him, you will be cursed. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What does in you mean? In, in Abraham is the seed uh, called Jesus. Jesus is from the line of Abraham. And in Jesus... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why did God put this verse there? That in Jesus, or through the seed of Abraham, all, why didn't he say all the peoples of the earth? But he says all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right? So I'm taking you on a journey to explain that first of all, God is a family God. He loves a family. That's why he created mankind, because he wanted a big family himself. And in Psalm 86, verse 6, it says, God sets <coughs> the solitary 
the individual people in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. See, God desires to bring us into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So God doesn't want people to have an independent spirit, to live as individuals. But He wants, He has set us. You may be an individual, you do not have a family, it doesn't matter. But He has set you in families. God wants us adopted into the family of God. He doesn't want us living individual lives, being isolated. He wants us connected to families and especially the family of God. God desires to bless the world in the context of the family, like we see in Acts 16.31. And it says, so they said, this is the Philippian jailer, uh, 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 Paul speaking to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He didn't stop there, but he says, you and your household or family. See, when God talks about salvation, He's always referring to your whole family to be saved. And we see that uh, in uh, Exodus 12, 3. It says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house or the family of his father, a lamb for a household or a family. The lamb there represents the sacrifice that will appease God, that will bring salvation to the family. And this lamb in the New Testament represents Jesus. So the, G, the lamb, the sacrifice for God is, is Jesus. It's for not just an individual. It's for a family. You will find that if you read through the whole Bible, when it talks about salvation, it's always in the context of the family. When it talks about eternal life, yes, it's for individuals. But when it talks about salvation, God's intent is for your whole family to be saved. I won't go into the whole concept or theology of household salvation, which uh, one day I'll share, but I shared it in, one, in uh, Gil's, uh, Hill's uh, home group, that uh, when, when I got saved, God gave me the revelation of household salvation. And as a result of that revelation, I, I prayed and claimed the salvation of my entire family. And as a result, I saw my sisters come to the Lord. I saw my nephews come to the Lord. Uh, some are more difficult than others. And uh, I saw my brother-in-laws come to the Lord. Some are more difficult than others. But eventually... They all came, my uncles, my aunties, my cousins, my nephews. I think they number over a hundred now. It's incredible how God can move in your family. And, and so you've got to have that concept. But I, I won't go into that. But I, I just want to highlight the fact that when God looks to save people, He wants to save whole families. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and your family, your household, because I've seen that not your family are righteous, you, Noah, are righteous before me in this generation. Even though there's one person who is seen righteous, God wants the whole family saved. 
So God desires a family, a people who are created in His image, who will love and obey God out of their free will, all right? Not by force, not by rules, who are redeemed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, who will humbly repent and turn from their sins and depend on God's grace for salvation. That's why God doesn't like independent spirit. You know, we in the West, we promote an independent spirit. Americans, you know, they have the cowboy syndrome, you know, be an independent hero kind of thing. Independence is against God. God wants dependence on Him and interdependence on the body of Christ. It's so important to understand that. And God wants us, it's, it, it about, tells us about Jesus in John 2, 17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written about Jesus that zeal for his family has eaten him up or consumed Jesus. See, Jesus came to the world to die and suffer on the cross. For what? For his family. For his whole household. So that through him, his family, his big family can be restored. And, but we always think individuals, right? In terms of salvation, we want individuals to be saved. But for God, he wants the family of the world to be saved. And the zeal, his passion for his family to be made whole drew him to the cross. He was willing to go to the cross for the joy of his family being restored, set before him, he endured the cross. He was willing to go to the cross for his family. That's how much he loved his family. And even in Mark eleven seventeen. There are many verses that talk about family. And he taught saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Alright? A house of prayer for my whole family, for all nations. Now before I go further into that, let me bring you back to explain why God divided his family in the first place that we see um, in, 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 in um, I think it's in Genesis chapter 10 or 11, 11. It talks about the Tower of Babel. In those days, the people were one big family, one language. And it was under the domination of this cult leader called Nimrod, who was uh, leading them and he wanted to be God himself. He was rebelling against God. And as a result of this cult leader, like uh, uh, David Koresh and, and all these cult leaders in America, they draw people to themselves, not to God. And so they, he, he uh, sort of organized this rebellion against God and and called the people to rebel against God by building this high tower called the Tower of Babel. Babel means confusion. There was confusion there. And so what did God do? There was this whole family of God rebelling against Him under the leadership of this cult leader called Nimrod, whose heart was set against God. 
And, you know, God being the wise God, the only way to break up rebellion, because there's the mob effect, all right, under one uh, charismatic, strong leader called Nimrod, the only way is to break up the family. Scatter them so that his influence, the influence of Nimrod on them can be weakened and broken. And it's like what you call divide and conquer strategy. Conquer the hearts of mankind. Those who are converted, and the, the strategy was that God would divide his family into many, many parts so that their hearts will be softened over time and in different parts. And those who would see the light, those who would be touched by the gospel, would have the responsibility to bring the good news and to restore the families that are scattered all over the, over the world back to God. It's like the concept of a father. If you were a father and of a very big family, say you had 10 children, like uh, Joseph, you know, he's many, many children. You, you are a father of many children. And your children are kind of rebellious and, you know, they, they are, they're difficult and then they rebel against you. They are, they are kind of scattered all over the world uh, or, or different parts of, of Australia. And you, you are heart sick because you're a father who loves all your children and you see that your children are not talking to each other, your children not coming home, their children don't even talk to you, there's a broken relationship with the father and mother. And as a father, you yearn for your family to be reunited, to be made whole again, all right? And so what do you do? You begin to reach out to some of those children who are scattered. And you, and, and you restore them. And, and maybe uh, number one son or number five daughter uh, uh, are reconciled to you. They, they have a good relationship with you back again. And you talk to them and you say, <clears throat> hey, you know, you need to be part of the strategy to reach out to other siblings, brothers and sisters, to bring them home, to be reconciled. You reach out to them. You help them. And that's how God the Father sees the Great Commission. It's not some task-oriented thing to say, go, Mayan, you go to Africa and bring the gospel there, you know. And, and you just go out of uh, obligation and, and many, many missionaries do that. But it's more than that. We've got to see a bigger picture and from the Father's heart, of why he gave us the Great Commission. And Jesus says in Luke 2.49, he says, Why do you seek me? Did you not know, this was when he was still young, that I must be about my father's business. My father's business. He didn't call God his general or his CEO or his, uh, you know, some uh, different names. But he revealed God as the Father. Jesus came to reveal God in the family context as Father and Him as the Son. So important. Nowadays as church, we are running church like an organization and as an institution. That's not how God intended it to be. You are not a member of FGAM, Daniel. You are my brother. 
Amen? You bleed, I bleed. You, you suffer, I suffer. You rejoice, I rejoice. We are family. And it doesn't matter whether you are black, yellow, red, green, whatever, you know. But we are all one family. And God scattered His family for the purpose that we will be receptive to the gospel and not come under uh, that bondage, that rebellion. And if we truly say that God is your Father, we are all children of God, sons and daughters of the living God. And if you love the Father, we have to speak like Jesus does. We have to be about our Father's business. It doesn't matter whether you are a doctor or a carpenter or a soldier or an engineer, whatever profession you are in, your profession is not an end in itself. Many people see their profession as an end, as, a, as the goal. Oh, I want to be a doctor or a dentist. And so I've arrived at, to earn lots of money so that I can be comfortable and support my children. No, it's a means to the end. Your profession, your wealth, whatever you pursue is merely a means to fulfilling the Father's heart, which is Father's business, which is to bring His family back together again. All of us have been given this commission by the Father to restore His family. It doesn't matter whether you're a doctor, a nurse, or teacher, or or, or, or uh, uh, tailor or whatever it is. Your primary call in your life is to bring his family home. And so priority has to be given. Therefore, to those who have not heard the gospel, there are estimated five and a half thousand unreached family members, I call them, or unreached people groups, yet to be reached. God yearns for His prodigal children to come home. Do we care for God's family as He does? Does the zeal for His family, His house, consume us as it did Jesus? Are we family-minded children of God, minding His business or our own business? The sad thing is we are minding our own business more than God's business. And so God will leave you alone. God will let you run your own journey, minding your own business. But at the end, we will all stand before God and we will have to give an account to God the Father to see if the talents He has given to us have been good, put to good use to reach His family members. And so in Revelation 7, we are now in the book of Revelation uh, this year, and in, in, in Revelation 7, 9 to 10, we haven't reached there yet, uh, Pastor Chris, but it, it says, After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation, we sang that today, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus. 
What, what is it talking about here? It's talking about the homecoming party celebration. Our church loves parties. We are a party church. Like celebration, full of food, like all kinds of food, you know. But the greatest party that we should look forward to is this one in Revelation 7, where in heaven, we will see our family members, black, white, <laughs> blue, green, all the colors and tongues and different nations. You know, so joyful, not all monotone, you know, monocolor, mono language, but to see such a variety. His whole family, whom he had scattered at the Tower of Babel, which was a curse, and now they coming back to the family is a reversal of that curse. It's a blessing. So you'll be blessed when you reach out to people beyond your comfort zone. You know, to be a missionary, to come here and reach out to people of different culture, it's not a comfortable thing. Not an easy thing. I, I told this story before that my friend who was a missionary in Burma, he worked three years to reach this particular tribe. And finally, he was invited for dinner to, by this tribe. They all sat down on the dirt floor and they were given the banana leaf or whatever. And then uh, the first serving were about seven black balls on this banana leaf. And he was foolish enough to ask what they were. And so they told him, it is our delicacy. We only serve this to our uh, uh, very honoured guest. And it's monkey dung. S-H-I-T, all right? Monkey dung. And he thought to himself, how can I eat monkey dung? But he says, I love these people so much. I've worked three years to reach them. And if I reject this, I'm rejecting them. And all my work will be useless. So he closed his eyes and gulped the seven droplets, you know, uh, of, of monkey dung and he swallowed it quickly as fast as possible. Like when I took the uh, witchetty grub those days, you know, uh, to raise funds for missions, you remember? And, and so he gulped it in and then he, he put the, the plate down and because they saw he ate it so fast, they gave him some more. They thought he loved it so much. But then he said, because he had eaten the first amount, he says, oh, that's enough. You know, he, he was able to reject the next lot and they let him go. So what can we do as a people? that if we have the Father's heart, if we say we love the Father, we must be about the Father's business of bring back His family back to His fold. If we look at missions from that angle and that perspective, you do missions with the heart, with your heart. It's not out of obligation. Oh, Pastor Chris says he must go on missions, must go on mission trip. I go, I go. But you come back the same. Your heart has not been transformed. The purpose is that we must have the Father's heart. His heart is bleeding and crying 
for yet many family members throughout the world who still do not know the Father. And He wants His children back. What can we do? We have to pray for a people group, the Muslim group maybe, or a Buddhist group, or Hindu group, people who do not know their Creator, their Father, who loves them unconditionally and sent Jesus to die for them. Pray for them and for the missionaries to be sent to them. That's the first thing that you can do. What I'm telling you is not exhaustive, but these are some steps. If you say that, yes, I want to have the passion to do the Father's business, these are some things that you could do. Talk to the missions committee. I would like the missions committee to please stand up. If Wherever you are, Raymond, our missions director, can you stand up? And uh, Yolanda over there, and then the committee members, Deborah, Paul Wu, is Paul there, the, the tall, handsome guy there who, who needs to grow out his hair more, you know. And, uh, and then who else? Crucio. Crucio's not here. But uh, 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 let's give a hand to our missions committee. They work very hard. All right? We, they are behind the scenes uh, supporting the missionaries, and, and organizing the short-term mission trips and all that. It's a lot of work. We, we just don't recognize them. We attend a missions course. What's the missions course, um, Megan? No, no, no. The other one. Kairos. There's a missions course that you can sign or talk to Megan. Uh, Megan, who is a coordinator for like Kairos course, all right? And, and so attend the missions course to understand how to be effective in missions. Begin to support either financially or get involved in some work of missions. We uh, used to support a, a church, an Aboriginal church in Shepparton. And we still do bursary and scholarship program for Aboriginal students to in incentivize them to finish year 12. That's an incredible work. And, and David, uh, the, the people who are involved in this uh, bursary scholarship program, are you around here? Can you stand up if you are involved in that? Where is... Uh, can you stand up, uh, Bratio? All right, that's him. Min Leong and others. You know, all the... Older ones are getting a bit tired. And, and, you know, it's the older ones who are being, carrying the baby. Hey, younger ones, rise up to take on this challenge to continue to support the Aboriginal people in Shepparton. All right? Go with them for these uh, 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 trips to, to give out scholarships. It's, it's a fantastic work that they are doing. And then number five, go on an exploratory short-term mission trip like PMMT. All right, there are many other trips going to India, to Cambodia, to Burma and so on. Find out about that and get involved because as you do, you are about the Father's business. It's not just your work and your family. Begin to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. I just want to make a challenge here today that if your life is just so centered around yourself and your family, it's time to look forward, uh, look beyond yourself. And if today you want to make a commitment to be about the Father's business so that at the end of life, like I do, I want to stand before God the Father and to be found faithful and for Him to say, well done, good and faithful Son of God or servant of the Lord. I want to hear Him say that to me. So tonight, if you, today, if you want to make some kind of commitment to say, yes, Lord, I want to be about the family business, about the father's business in some form or other, even if just praying for people, just praying for missionaries or giving or helping in the missions committee or, or going on a trip or in one form or another, God has spoken to your heart today. Could you just raise your hand I want to pray for a fresh impartation of the love for God's family into your heart, afresh. Heavenly Father, you see the hands that are raised up. You see people who would, are willing to be about the Father's business. Lord, touch their hearts. Move them, Lord so that they will not be, live a self-centered life anymore. It's more than just their career. It's more than just their own family. It's the family of God that God is crying for. And we want to be part of that movement that you are doing. And we see in North Africa the wonderful things that are happening. Lord, you, your, fin your business is unfinished and we want to be part of that today. Bless our church. Make our church a missions-minded church, a missionary church that will impact the world for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.